Amen. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, it's brilliant to uh, to be together today. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, tend to watch the news regularly or pick up on things in the news. Um, on Friday this week, one of the things that I, I picked up in the news is um, that students from across the UK in all sorts of different kind of big cities um, did a walkout from school. Um, and they walked out from school and they, they went to petition and to, to kind of protest to the government and to councils in, in different places to do with climate change. To, to, to kind of put pressure on them to take action in order to protect the ecosystem. And climate change is a, is a huge issue in the world today, isn't it? But do you know, each of you has your own ecosystem. Each of you has your own climate that you carry with you in life. And that might sound a little bit odd. And uh, to say, but if you think about it, you can spend time with, with people. You can spend time with, with someone that you know and you step into their world. You, you kind of step into their climate. And sometimes the climate that you find is one which is sunny and bright and it's a joy to be there. But sometimes you step into somebody's climate and quite frankly, it's a little bit drizzly and dank, isn't it? You know, imagine you've all had those times where you, you've gone to spend time with a friend and you, you spend a time with them and you step into their world, into their climate and it's hopeful and it's positive and you, you kind of get come away and you're built up and you're encouraged and you feel empowered and there's this sense of joy out of the time together. It's life-giving. Equally, you can probably think back to, to people who you know or friends who you might have. And, and it doesn't matter in terms of what they're going through in life. It just seems like every time you spend time with them, they're complaining and negative and grumbling and, and kind of despairing. And cr- they're critical. And you kind of come away from that, that time and you feel a bit flat. And you feel a little bit kind of like you've been drained of your life and your energy and you're discouraged. Or maybe their critical words have left you feeling insecure or inadequate. You leave feeling worse because of your time with them. And just as the people who we spend time with have their own climate that they kind of carry with them, so each and every one of us have our own kind of climate that we live in, our own climate that we live under that that shapes our perspective and the way that we see things and the way we understand things and that impacts on the people who we spend time with too. And so as there are discussions going on around the world about how we can make changes to the ecosystem to positively begin to shape the ecosystem to to bring about climate change. Today, I want to talk about how we can positively shape the ecosystems of our lives to bring about climate change for each one of us. So that the climates that we live in and the climates that we live under and the climates we carry with us that impact others are ones which are positive and life-giving. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who, when people come away from time with me and conversations with me, that they leave feeling encouraged, that they leave feeling like there's, there's been life-giving and there's been hope in that, and they leave with this kind of fresh perspective about their situations. And that's only possible if I carry the right climate with me. This morning then we're continuing our series, Words to Live By. As we look at the book of Proverbs and we, we kind of look to try and gain the practical wisdom there. Wisdom that helps us to skillfully live God's way. 
living in a way that honors God, living in a way that, that kind of positions us to receive his blessings and enables us to be a blessing to other people as well. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, what we find is that the biggest impact on our ecosystem, the biggest thing which kind of determines the climate of our lives is through the way that we speak, through the words that we use, through the things that we say or the things that we write down or the things that we kind of post on social media, that our words are powerful. And you might think, well, come on, it's just words. Do words really matter? What do words achieve? You know, we, you maybe like me grew up kind of with that, that, that rhyme that was taught to us all, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or, or words will never hurt me. What a load of nonsense. Because we all know we, we, we try, we come out of that and we think, well, that's the way that it is. And so, so I've got to try and toughen up. I've, I've got to try and, and man up. I've got to try and just let this be water off a duck's back and not let it bother me. When the reality is that words are powerful. In 2016, in the UK alone, 12,000 children had counseling appointments because of cyberbullying. Nothing physical happened to them. It was just words that were posted online, on social media, often anonymous. But those words were powerful and they had an incredibly negative impact on the lives of those children. You know, marketing companies understand that words are powerful. They use words to try and shape our opinions and make people want things and desire things and to change people's perspective. There was a fish in Chile um, that nobody wanted to eat. Even the locals wouldn't eat it. And it was called the toothfish. Now, that doesn't sound particularly appetizing, does it? The toothfish. It's not a fish that you would kind of get look at a menu and think, oh, that sounds good. And so somebody had the bright idea and they decided to rename this fish and they renamed it the Chilean sea bass. Now, that sounds a lot nicer, doesn't it? And, and actually, that fish has become a popular dish and now restaurants are serving it and now it is endangered and dying out because it's eaten so much. Words are powerful. It's no surprise then that when it comes to to how we live our lives with wisdom, how we can skillfully live God's way, that the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the words that we use and what we say and speak and write down. In fact, it's of all of the different practical things that Proverbs talks about, it's the one that it talks about more than anything else. There are 34 different references in the book of Proverbs to our tongue or our speech or our words or our mouths. So grappling with words and the, what it is that we say, the things that we write down, the words that we use is crucial if we want to become people who live wisely. Proverbs 18 verses 20 to 21 says this. It says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power over life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words have the power of life and death. They can build up or they can destroy. And the imagery here that we see is one of fruit and harvest, isn't it? It's about gardening. And I think it's really helpful for us to, to begin to think in this kind of a way because the idea here is that the words that we use are like seeds that we can plant. And what we plant will grow. 
The things that we plant today will be the things that grow in the future. And we will live in the good or the bad of them. You have been given the ability, the gift, to be able to speak. And your speech impacts for good or for bad. In your own life and in the lives of the people who you spend time with. In the people you work with, the people that you live with. In the lives of your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors or your friends. They are powerful. And they not only impact us in the moment that they're spoken, they not only impact in the, in the present, but because they're seeds, what happens is it's seeds that are planted in soil, they penetrate and they go down deep. And they get stuck inside. And so they also have the power to begin to shape our future. They stay with us. They shape the way that we begin to see ourselves, the way that we begin to see others. Words can stir up hope and faith and courage. And they can, that can change the course of a person's life. Or they can crush someone and leave them carrying wounds and scars of anger and bitterness and insecurity. Words are powerful. What we say matters. What we write, what we post on social media matters. We each have an amazing opportunity to be people who encourage and empower and bring life and healing to others through our words. But we also have an an incredible responsibility to ensure that the words that we use are not ones that tear down or crush or destroy. So if words really matter, if they're powerful, how can we be wise with them? What does Proverbs teach us? How can we skillfully live God's way when it comes to the words that we use? How can we use our words so that we plant the best seed and get to reap the best harvest in our own lives and in the lives of others? Well, I say, thankfully, Proverbs has got a lot to say when it comes to practical instructions about what we say and how we say it. And to help us to to grapple with things, the way that I want us to try and approach uh, these different kind of ideas is I want us to approach them like a a spectrum. So so often we can kind of see things and we see things black and white and we say, well, I don't do that. And and yes, I'm great at that. I've nailed it. And we kind of just think we're in one of those two camps. But but when it comes to the words that we use, so often it's much more like a spectrum. There's there's kind of a lot of gray involved. There's a lot of variance in, in how we can use the words. And so what I want us to do is to, to begin to, to think about where are we, not here or here, but between here and here. And kind of almost like on a scale of, of, of one to ten. And what I wanted to do is we're going to go through different areas to do with our words. And I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. No one's going to be taking a, a quiz at the end or asking you to kind of, you know, fess up to, to anything publicly. But be honest with yourself and be honest with God. And allow the Holy Spirit to begin to highlight different ways and areas of your life where maybe he, he wants to convict or maybe actually he wants to inspire and to encourage you as to the positive ways that you could be using the words that you, you have. And the great thing is that as we make those kind of changes in our life, as God highlights those things for us in our lives, it's not to beat us up, but it's in order to enable us to bring about climate change. And it's in order to, to enable us to bring about change within our lives to, so that we get to, to reap the, the harvest of, of using our words in a good way. 
So the first spectrum, and we're going to have, I think, maybe five of them. The first spectrum I want us to begin to think about is the spectrum of lying to truthfulness. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says this. It says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? The Lord detests, he hates lying lips. And one of the words that has been used in recent times to describe our world today is that we now live in a post-truth world. And people, basically that means that people are less interested in what's true, less interested in, in facts, and more interested in how things make them feel. More that they're able to choose their own truth and to define their own truth. And so we're in a world where, where kind of categoric truth, which is unchanging, is not highly valued. Where lying is becoming a, a fairly normal part of conversation, even though people probably wouldn't put that word on it or see themselves as doing that. Because it's normal to try and twist or distort information in order to present it in a way that either makes us look best or that kind of backs up the truth of how we see things. And it can be in obvious ways. You know, we can think of obvious ways of lying where you, you put down wrong information on a, on a tax form or a benefits form or, or something like that. But, but often it's in much more subtle ways where we simply just make sure that we come out looking good or that our point of view is made out to be as strong as possible. Truth has been devalued, and lying or twisting or distorting things has become a normal part of of how we communicate in our conversations. And so it's easy to become desensitized to it, and not even to see it or to realize or be aware that you're doing it. To forget that, that God detests lying, that he hates it. But he loves and he delights in people who are truthful and trustworthy and honest. You know, I don't know if you've ever had the the painful experience of someone close to you lying to you. Maybe a friend or a family member. But if you had, then you know that when you find out the truth, when you find out that's what's been happening, it hurts, doesn't it? You know, I know I've been left feeling betrayed. I've been left feeling like that relationship has, has just become broken because how could I ever trust them again when they've been lying to me in that kind of a way? And that's because when we lie, we release into our relationship some kind of corrosive substance that over time undermines and breaks down and eats away at trust. Lying corrodes us and eats away at us from the inside out and it destroys trust in our relationships. And and as I say, you might be sat there thinking, well, I I don't lie. I'm I'm not over here. This isn't an issue for me. But as I said, our use of our words is on a spectrum. We're told not only to avoid lying, but to endeavor and do all we can to be trustworthy and truthful. So what does that mean? It means that that what we say can be taken at face value. That it's not been distorted or twisted, that it's an accurate representation of, of reality. 
And, and we can all be guilty of distorting things. We can all be guilty of, of times when we exaggerate stuff in a story because it makes us look better or it makes it more exciting or somehow, you know, it, it means that, that, that people will, will kind of come away thinking that we're this awful victim and they'll feel sorry for us. Without us stopping to, to think in that moment if what we've really said is a, a fair reflection of reality. And if we want to grow in skillfully living God's way, then we need to grow in being people who are trustworthy and truthful and honest. People who, what we say, can always be taken at face value. Knowing that God delights in us when we do that. The next spectrum then to think about with our words is a spectrum of gossip to integrity. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And again, this is a huge issue in in our society that we can so easily become desensitized to. Because gossip is essentially just talking about the personal life and private affairs of another person that we have no business talking about. And if you've ever read a newspaper, turned on the TV, used the internet in in any kind of way, then what you'll know is that gossip is actually pretty much at the center of so much of our communication. And there's something enticing about it. There's something that draws us into it. There's something that makes us think this is, is, you know, we use that phrase, don't we? It's a juicy piece of gossip. And you know, elsewhere in Proverbs, it describes gossip as being like a choice morsel of food. So so it's a juicy piece of food that's enticing and that tempts us. It's that little bit of perfectly seasoned kind of medium rare steak that you just kind of, you smell it and you you see it and you're just tempted by it or, or whatever kind of food it is that draws you in. It brings you so much pleasure. That's what gossip's like. But unlike the delicious food that does us good when it reaches our stomach, gossip ends badly. When we gossip, we betray the people around us. It leads to hurt and division. When we gossip, something is going on in the spiritual realm as we grieve the Holy Spirit. And then it robs us then of something of the life and the fullness that God has for us, the grace that he wants to give us. And so wise living means that we flee from gossip and we run towards integrity. In your workplace, with your friends, make the decision to step out of those kind of conversations. In church, if you ever come across gossip, as much as I pray and hope that you never do, but if you ever come across gossip in church, then go a step further than that and say, I don't think this is something that we should be talking about. If you're really concerned about them and their situation, then go and talk to them directly about it. You know, we can become so familiar with gossip that it's not even always easy to spot. It's just, it's just part of our conversations. So here are two questions I think you can ask yourself in the midst of a conversation so to bring yourself up short and to see if it's, if it's something that's gossip or not. Number one, is talking about them going to help them? Because if your conversation isn't for their benefit, if you're not part of helping them, if you're not part of the solution 
for them, then quite frankly, you don't need to hear the information. It's just gossip. And number two, would you say this comment or laugh at this joke if the person in question was here now? And if not, then you're likely to have to explain to them in the future why you said what you said or you did what you did, and it probably isn't worth it. And even if you're never caught out, you grieve the Holy Spirit and you are robbed of something of the grace and life that God has for you. You know, a church culture and a, and a culture in your life, a climate that we can set that God delights in and that positions us to receive his blessings is a culture where we talk to each other and not about each other. Where we're careful with what we say. And if someone shares something with us, then we treat it appropriately. It's so important that we guard one another and that we create a culture where the Holy Spirit delights to be. And that means that we need to be people of integrity and to flee from gossip. The next spectrum then in in how we use our words is that of insult to encouragement. Proverbs 11 verse 12 says, Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense. And Proverbs 10 verse 21 says, the lips of the righteous nourish many. You know, I I don't know what winds you up. Um, Simple things wind me up. I get wound up by people who on on a single lane kind of road drive 10 miles an hour below the speed limit, even though they've got no reason to do so. That winds me up. I get wound up when I have to um, ring someone in a call center and I know more about what they're meant to do in their job than they do. That winds me up. So simple things kind of wind me up. We all have things that wind us up though, don't we? And in the heat of the moment, it's so easy for us to start to use words that deride. And what I mean by that is words that cut people down. We might not do it to their face, but we might talk about that driver to the other people in the car with us. We might just say it to ourselves. And I think one of the areas where we all need to be careful when it comes to this is with our humor. Because in our banter and with our jokes, we can end up using our words in a way which cut people down. We don't have any ill intention, but we we just forget the power that words hold and the impact that they have and the seed that we've just planted in that person's life and the wounds that it causes that last. Instead, Proverbs tells us that the lips of the righteous are ones which nourish people. The lips of those who are living skillfully God's way nourish the people around us. They speak life and encouragement. Here's something then for you to do this week. Ask God to show you one person that you can speak to or one thing that you can post on your social media account every day in order to encourage and nourish and bring life to others. This week, when you, when you feel wound up and you're tempted to deride somebody and to cut them down, even if it's in jest, just stop yourself and choose to speak words of life that will nourish instead. The next spectrum then is that of rash to measured. 
Being wise with our words isn't just about knowing what to say, it's about knowing when to say it and when to not. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, it says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly come to ruin. To skillfully live God's way means that we think before we speak. You know, there are times when we need to hold back from speaking to make sure that when we speak, it's a word in season, that it's timely. Um, a few weeks ago, um, and I, I can't remember all the details of this, but I remember Rosie um, coming. Uh, she'd had a difficult day, and she was feeling pretty vulnerable. And she came up the stairs, and I was in the bedroom. And, and I, uh, I, I kind of said with a smile and a laugh and shared with her a comment that Simon had made, which, to be honest, was I just thought was so outrageous that it was funny. But the comment that Simon had made was, uh, wasn't particularly uplifting, shall we say. And, um, and because she was already feeling vulnerable, instead of her laughing at what he'd said, which is what I thought would happen, she simply looked at me and she said, why did you have to say that? Why did you have to say that? And the answer was that I didn't. I should have guarded my lips in order to preserve her life. Because you see, there is such a thing as a good word, a word of truth, even a word that someone needs to hear that is spoken at a bad time. And a good word at a bad time becomes a bad word. Because a word that nourishes is a word that brings life. And a word that is a good word that is spoken at the right time, that nourishes because a person's in a place to receive it. It's a powerful thing. You know, if there's a conversation that you need to have with someone and you know it's going to be hard and it's not an easy conversation to have, then make an effort to guard your lips, to hold back from speaking to them about it until it's the right moment. And that's hard and Sometimes we just have to kind of hold it in and we don't want to do it, but guard your lips until it's a word in season. And sometimes that's about waiting for the other person to be in a place where they can receive it, but sometimes it's about actually waiting for a time when we're able, we're in a place to be able to give it without it being out of anger, without it being hurtful, without it being an emotional reaction. With us being able to communicate in a healthy way, in a way that is constructive and brings life and doesn't just tear down. You know, before you send an email of complaint off in your heat of your anger, before you post something on Facebook while you're emotional, you confront your, your wife or your husband or a friend, ask yourself, are my words measured? Are they weighed? Are they deployed carefully? Are they appropriate? Or am I just venting and letting rip? Am I being rash? Am I saying this for their good or just for my pleasure to get something off my chest? The last spectrum then in how we use our words is the spectrum of harsh to gentle. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
And it doesn't take long for us to think of a situation where this is relevant, does it? Either between individuals or between nations. You know, if, if someone responds in a, in a gentle or a harsh way, it's the difference between pouring water or fuel on the fire of the argument. One of them is going to put it out and the other one is just going to make it flare up and get worse. And being gentle, sometimes we think it's a bad thing and that being gentle means I'm going to be meek and mild and they're all going to walk all over me and, and I'll never get to be able to say my piece and I'm just going to have to always be the one who apologizes. But you know, being gentle isn't about being a pushover. Gentleness is strength under control. It's when we speak in such a way that we harness the, the, our emotion and the power of our emotion and we, we harness, you know, the, 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 the heat of the moment, but then we bring it all under control. And instead of speaking out of all of that anger, we bring it under control and we choose to speak truth with gentleness. And when we do, it's powerful. When it comes to the idea of, of, of this being a, a spectrum, one of the things that I often think about is the idea of, and the importance of tact. You know, a gentle word is one that doesn't just bluntly state the truth. That's going to cause someone to react and to be upset. A gentle word takes into account how the person will feel. And so is able to speak the truth in love, in a way that they can receive in a way that they'll sit up and take notice to. So these are five spectrums for you to think about. I don't know where you kind of place yourself on those spectrums for each of the different things. I don't know if it's, uh, uh, you know, where you would kind of uh, rate things in terms of how you're doing, or if there's something particularly the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you to grow in. But there's a verse in, in Proverbs that I find really helpful in summing up what our words are to be like. And I find it really helpful when I'm not always sure what to do and what to say, or there's times when I'll, I'll say something and I'll realize it's wrong because of this. And it's this, it, Proverbs 15 verse 26 says, The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. And I'll unpack why I think this is such a significant statement for us. See, our, our words not only impact the people around us, but actually they impact God. We can use words that grieve God, that grieve the Holy Spirit, or we can use words that he delights in, that bring him pleasure, and that position us to receive his blessings. And the words that God delights in are pure words. And so they're not words that are filled with innuendo, or jokes, or critical comments that pull other people down. And what I've found is that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and because the words that I use impact him, because he's either grieved or delighted in the words that I use, that I can almost feel his reaction inside of me. And when you think about the word pure, one of the ways that we use the word pure is to describe a note in music when it's perfectly in tune. Uh, when we use pure words, what's, what is, I think that's been really helpful for me to be able to think about this is that we're using words that are perfectly in tune with God's nature. And, and just as when you're learning a, an instrument or you're listening to, to a band and, and one of the notes is out of tune and it kind of jars and clashes and you, you know it's not meant to be there, it's not meant to be like that. 
So when I talk of someone in the heat of the moment and I make a joke at their expense or I say something that's inappropriate, I feel this kind of clanging inside of me, this jarring, this clashing inside of me because it's out of tune with God's nature. Impure words clash with the purity of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And maybe you've had that experience. And the reason that it jars on the inside of us is because our words that delight God, our words that bring God pleasure, our words that he he longs to see us using are the words which are in tune with his nature. And so when we look at the nature of God, I think we see and discover something of what our words should be like. That pure words are words of truth, words of hope, words of grace, words of peace, words of love. And when we speak words in opposition to that, words that are hateful or divisive or bring the full of despair, something jars inside of us because they don't line up with the nature of God. You know, and I think when we understand this, we discover that the most important thing when it comes to our words is not to do with our tongue, but to do with our heart. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so if we want to be people who speak words of life, if we want to see our climate change so that the atmosphere that we carry with us is, is one that, the one that shapes our perspective, the one that impacts other people is one of life and encouragement and hope and gentleness. That change won't just come about by us trying to hard to be different. No, it's important that we try hard. It's important that we put an effort in and use our will to make sure that we say the right things, that we, we want to line up with God. We need to do that. But ultimately, we don't need new tongues. We need a new heart. Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our fingers tweet what the heart is full of. And so as important as it is that we try and, and say the right thing, ultimately it all comes down to us inviting the Holy Spirit into our hearts in a deeper way. Surrendering our hearts to Jesus in a deeper way. Being captured in our hearts by the wonder of who God is and his grace and his love and his mercy and his kindness in a deeper way. So that out of the overflow of our hearts, which are full of love and wisdom and grace, the mouth speaks and the fingers tweet and the words that we use are pure. They're in tune with the nature of God. And the sobering reality of this is that means that if God has been highlighting to you words that you tend to use that are at the root of them, even if it's never your intention, at the root of them are destructive what has been highlighting to you really is the state of your heart. Where has been highlighting to you the opportunities that you have to, to be able to use your words to bring life and hope and joy and to, to, to help other people. 
And where you're not doing that right now, what he's highlighting to you is the state of your heart. If your words are angry, it's because your heart is angry. And if you want to speak powerful words of life to your children and your friends and your neighbors and see your words unlock things in their lives, then the starting point for that is to get God's heart for those people. And out of the overflow of your heart, you will speak words of life. So I'm going to ask the the band to, to come up as we finish. And as they play, I want to just encourage you to be real and honest with God. To confess to him the, the ways that you struggle in terms of your words. Not because he's wanting to beat you up, but because he's wanting to, to highlight those things. So that you can see the way that you need him to work in your heart. To make your heart new. To surrender your heart to him in a deeper way. To invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak into your life. Not only to, 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 to free you from the bad stuff and the negative ways of using words, but to empower you and enable you and to give you the ability and the vision to see, to be able to use your words to bring life and hope and encouragement to other people. To be able to use your words to bring about climate change in your life. That positions you to receive God's blessings and enables you to be a blessing to every person that you meet. The band are going to lead us. I just want to encourage you to use this time to, to meet with God. Use this time to be honest with God. Use this time to invite God in a deeper way into your heart. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be honest with you today, knowing that you delight to show mercy knowing that your heart is not to beat us up and to pull us down, but your heart is to show us mercy, to wash us clean, to forgive us, and to give us grace. As we humble ourselves before you, your promise is that you give grace to the humble, to enable us and equip us and empower us to begin to to use our words for good. And God, I pray that in this time you would come and you would fill each one of us with your spirit, that you would highlight those areas of our hearts that you want to touch. And that as you meet with us and as you work in those areas of our our hearts, that our words would be changed. And as our words are changed, we would find that we're planting different seeds in the ground and we'd find that our perspective begins to change, our mindset begins to change. We begin to see ourselves and see the world more clearly and brightly. Because we see it as you see it. God, that this would be a a time where you bring about transformation in each one of our lives. And where you release us to be people who bring transformation to others. So come and meet with us. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.